0: We are so glad that you're here with us in the third service. It's been a great day just today in God's house. Are you thankful for the cooler weather? Amen? That's been wonderful. We praise God for that. We are in the middle of a series we started about four weeks ago, going on the fourth week here, called Go the Distance Vision. And we're kind of we're taking our church through a process of relocation and understanding what God has led us to as we, over the summer months, paid off 12 acres of property that, that we acquired about four years ago. And now we paid that off. That That's behind us. We're moving forward in the next phase, and, and it's an exciting time. But we want to be sure that we as a church are prepared spiritually for it, that we don't make this just about a building because it's never been about that here at EVC. We talked about going the distance in our faith in week one and what that looks like and and that there are those who have come before us that have run their leg of the race faithfully and they have passed that baton in this relay of faith off to us and now it's our turn to run our race, to finish what we started and to run strong and to finish strong and and you know, we talked about what that looks like scripturally, and the next week we talked about going the distance in our families, and how God has led us to realize that there are those who are are coming behind us that are going to be running their race, and we want to prepare them we want to leave a legacy for our students, and pass that baton of faith faithfully to them as they run their leg in this race of faith as well, so we want to lead our families, we said in the way of the master, that's what we talked about, leading our families, not driving our families, but leading them as moms and dads and aunts and uncles and, and grandparents. That's what we're called to do. Last week, we talked about going the, the distance in our finances and in this really important area of our of our walk with God and how it's a great opportunity for, for us to be generous and to live open-handed before the Lord and how that brings honor to God. And and, and we talked about what that looks like and, and how God loves a cheerful gift. I want to talk to you today about something that's important as I just really, if you're a guest, I welcome you here and we're thankful that you're here and we're, we're thinking you're going to get a, just a good glimpse of the heart of our church today. But I really want to talk to our church family today. For those of you who feel like you're a part of EBC, I want to talk to you about the steps that's going to be necessary as we go the distance for our future and what that looks like and what is it going to mean for us. And now over the last 14 days... Pastor Randy and I have, have done 11 dessert fellowships in 14 days. We have been going the distance for dessert is what we have been doing, okay? We've had to increase our uh, exercise regime just uh, as our church has been growing. So have our waistlines is what we are finding, okay? As all this great dessert has been there, you say, what is a dessert fellowship? If you've been able to make one of our dessert fellowships, would you raise your hand today? Would you lift them up high? Many of you. Great. Awesome. That's Great. Some of you haven 't been able to make it yet we 're going to do one more tonight okay for you and uh, but what we 've been doing is in this process it was really important to us that our church as a whole understood what the what the process is going to look like we want you to feel good about it we want you to feel passionate about it like we are and that it 's not just you realize it 's not just a, a few pastors that are that are doing this but a whole church family that is involved in this process and and that's what that's been like. We've talked about, we want you to know why we're doing it and, and what it's going to look like. How much is that going to cost? And what's the motive behind it? Are we, are we doing this just, you know, to build something for ourselves? And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. Is there something greater behind this? We want to talk about going the distance in our future. And we've been trying to be sure that God's people are prepared for this move, that we're prepared spiritually, that we're prayed up, That we are not entering into something that's just simply about a building. I mean, buildings don't change lives, right? God can use buildings in numbers of different ways. And we'll find that out a little bit more today as we look at the Word today. But, but but listen, we wanted you to understand what that's going to look like, and in our dessert fellowships, we kind of had, and I believe we have a fly around. You can kind of, for some of you that haven't been there yet, we have that video there where you can begin to kind of see what that new structure is going to look like out on the property on Bailey Boswell. That's just a little bit of what we do uh, and show you in the dessert fellowships, and and again, we're we're excited about about what that's going to mean for our church on the twelve acres of land there. Now let's go to the the key. If events. You're, if you're not aware, maybe you haven't been here for a while and, uh, and you're not really aware what's happening or you are a guest, let me share with you about the key events. And so Aspen, let's go ahead and go to that slide where the key events are, where we've been doing the dessert fellowships. We'll do one more tonight because we're givers and we just want to share more dessert with you, okay? So you're welcome in advance. No, seriously, we're going to do one more of these because we know some of you haven't been able to make it yet. Uh, But we want you to know what's happening in your church. The other thing, as Pastor Randy mentioned, that we're going to do is we're going to have a prayer walk today. We're going to have a prayer walk that's going to start at Lake Point Elementary. We're going to walk through our community. That's really probably my favorite part of the whole prayer walk is knowing where it starts. It starts in our community. That's why we're doing this anyway, right, to reach our community. We want to pray for our community as we walk to the property from where we park. And then it's another great way for you to lead your children and your grandchildren in the way of the Master as they understand what it means to pray for this. We want our students to feel a part of this. We want our kids to feel a part of this. We're going to have interactive opportunities for you to lead them in prayer. They're going to learn how to pray for this. They're going to have some skin in the game, which we're excited about, okay? And now let me express to you what's going to happen on October 19th, okay? October 19th is going to be what's called Commitment Sunday. And Commitment Sunday, as we've shared in our dessert fellowships, is where we're going to bring a cash offering on that day for those who feel led to do this. And we're going to make that a part of our worship. We're also going to bring our pledge cards um, that we're going to do. We've received in our dessert fellowships where we talk about what it means to be committed to this above and beyond our regular giving, sacrificial giving uh, over the next three years. And it's going to be a great day in the history of our church as we make those commitments together. And there's nothing wrong with this word commitment. That's not a dirty word. That's an important word in the Christian faith, commitment. That's an important word in a marriage, commitment, right? There's nothing wrong with that word. In fact, although we find in our society today, it's not something what people usually like to talk about. But we're, we're going to call our church to commitment on that day. And there's so much that's happening. And what we're calling for is this. Um, and as we've shared this in the Dessert Fellowships, it's just participation. Total participation. And equal participation, equal sacrifice. It's going to take all of us to see this process happen together. And, and, and we're just we're knowing that God is going to do some great things. You've, you've heard, if you've been to the dessert fellowships or you've been around here for any amount of time, this is not a high-pressure uh, situation that we're in. We're not pressuring anybody into doing this. We're not pressuring people to give to this. We don't want you to feel that way at all as I'll talk about in a moment as we'll look in God's Word. I'm not a high-pressure preacher. We're not a high-pressure church. We trust the Lord to lead you. Amen? We trust that God will lead you in this and that this will be, as we'll read about today, God-led participation and a joyful experience for for our church. Again, if you're a guest, I'm hoping you'll catch kind of the heart of our church today. Building programs, when you talk about them, almost every pastor I know either gets really excited about it because it's something that it's going to be a great challenge and or, or a lot of pastors, when you talk about them, they hate them, <laughs> all right? They hate going into them. They hate the, 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 uh, the stress that goes along with them, and it's not a joyful experience. Most of them would love to avoid them like the plague. Most feel very inadequate to the task because it is a difficult task that you lead people into. The task is enormous. Other pastors complain going into processes like this because they know how much work, extra work, is going to be required. And our staff certainly can attest to that over the summer months, how much extra work was put in beyond just shepherding the people of God, but also leading in this relocation effort. It's difficult. There's no doubt it's difficult. And you can continue praying for your pastors and staff because we need it. But other pastors, they don't like it because it provides opportunities for, for tension or conflict or division. And, and, you know, and because everyone has an opinion about maybe how it should be done or what it should look like or how you pay for it. And so when you do something like this, it is an opportunity for there to be division. And people, that oftentimes happens in churches and it's not a joyful experience. So a lot of pastors that I know, they kind of hate this process. They hate it. And let me tell you what I found in a situation like this is, yes, it is impossible to please every single person. Everyone has a different thought about how things, you know, should be or could be. And we as pastors need to listen to God's people. And But really as a pastor and as a leader in any situation like that, what you got to do is you have to say, okay, God, what are you really leading us to do? And we want to hear from people, and many times you speak through people, we want to hear from that. But Lord, what are you leading us to do? So you've got to seek godly counsel. You've got to trust God ultimately with the results. That's another reason a lot of pastors don't like it, is because there's also an opportunity for failure. (laughs) And when that failure happens, you feel, maybe as a pastor, you feel kind of that your ego is a little bit attached to it, and that happens. And, and when that happens, and maybe it doesn't work out the way you hope, then you feel like a failure in and of yourself. And so again, a lot of guys really just kind of would like to avoid it altogether. And, and, and while this is the fourth fundraising program that I've been a part of in our, our history of EVC, this is the first one that I've been a part of where I've actually had pictures of something new that we were going to move into. Every time I've done it, it's been to try to tell you about a piece of dirt that we are going to be paying on. And it's hard to get people excited about dirt, right? You know. And so this is the first time I've actually been able to say, we're actually moving into something. This is going to be a, a neat experience for us. And we paid that dirt off in the summer months, and now... We're running this part of the of the leg of the race where we're taking next steps. And as your pastor, I really want you to know, as you heard me talk about how a lot of pastors feel about it, and that's not all of them, but a lot of them get really anxious. They get depressed in the midst of this. It's a struggle, and they hate it. Here's how, and I'm going to tell you why that's happened for me, what I'm about to tell you. I feel very relaxed in the midst of this process. And that is not natural. <laughs> I want you to know that is not natural for me. I feel very relaxed. I feel very at peace. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. That is, a, that is an act of God in my life, I assure you. That's a God moment. I don't feel I don't feel stressed out about it. I'm tired because we've been working really hard, but it's a good tired. We've worked hard for a good reason. And for good reason to to rally God's people around something we believe in. Um, I'm at peace. God has brought me peace. I see this as, you know, as we're going to look in the scripture in a moment. I see this as a, as a great opportunity, not a negative experience. The building of a facility for the work of God, I want you to hear this, church, should never be a negative experience. I'm going to show you that in the, in the word of God. I'm going to show you that it should be a great opportunity for unity. And and it's a great opportunity for God to get more glory. It's a great opportunity where we see joy and faith and generosity manifest itself among the people of God. And so this morning, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that God used to bring me to this place of peace. He brought me to a place of, of joy and rest and relaxation in the midst of this where in many times past I would get amped up and anxious and I'll tell you how I was feeling that way and God changed me, okay? Look with me in your Bibles this morning to First Chronicles 28. First Chronicles chapter 28. It's in the Old Testament, okay? Um, turn there with me and don't be ashamed to use the table of contents because this one's hard to find, okay? Turn there with me. Look with me in your Bibles or on your phones. You can follow also up on the screen. But I want you to go to First Chronicles 28 And let me just tell you about how God gave me this passage. I was sitting on my back porch, and that's where I like to have my quiet time. I like to, in my quiet time, what that means is my time alone with God where I refuel myself spiritually. I have to have that time with the Lord. I need that time with God to have fresh manna to give to you and to, to feed you and to, and to pastor you. And I need it personally, okay? And I was out on my back porch and I was having that and I was drinking coffee and I was needing a word from God because I woke up very early that morning feeling very panicked. This was Before we were going into this go the distance vision and I was feeling panicked. I was feeling anxious. See, that's my natural response to going into these kinds of things. I was feeling scared. I was feeling overwhelmed. I was feeling like I was inadequate as a pastor. I'm thinking, oh my, we're going into this. I don't know how it's going to happen because... We probably had had a meeting with an architect. I think it was right after that. And the architects were telling us what this was going to cost. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what in the world? How, what are we getting into? How is this going to happen? So I was really start, starting my control freak self to kick in, to try to figure it all out myself. To you know, And I was like, God, I need a word from you today. I really need a fresh word from you today. And I looked down at my reading plan on Version, and I saw that I was going to be reading from 1 Chronicles, and that did not excite me, let me just say, okay? I'm like, oh, I was hoping for maybe the Gospel of John or Philippians or something, but we're in First Chronicles, really? I mean, that's like, it's going to be like reading numbers for encouragement, right? Okay? And so I'm, I'm looking there, and I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you for a word today, and so as I started reading this, God just started giving me so much peace and joy. And I just felt like God was saying, Barn, I've got a great word for you. And I want you to pass this word on to the church family. And here's what I want to do is I want to pass it along to you today. This is why I'm at peace. And I want you to rest in this whole process as well. In 1 Chronicles 28, I want to give you some background as we study God's Word together. And King David, you should know, is nearing the end of his reign. He's been in leadership now for 40 years. And God has done a lot of amazing things through his leadership. And uh, what we find is that one of King David's last desires was to get to build a temple for God. He was thinking now about his legacy he had lived in an opulent palace and started feeling convicted about how the people of God, where they worshipped was was really not that great of a place and, and, and it was more like this tent and, and he 's thinking, "I want to do something great that 's going to last, and my legacy is going to be uh, something that 's going to be passed on to for generations to come as we 'll read about." But verse 20, or chapter 28 in First Chronicles verse 3, it says that David was told by God, David, although you want to build this, you're not going to be the one to build it. Now, I want you to keep that in mind because David at that moment could have checked out. We're going to find out what David's heart was really like in this. He could have checked out. It could have, We would have found out that that would have been for David's glory and not the glory of God, but he didn't. You're going to see that David invested more. He realized he had a great responsibility. So we'll find that David was used by God to accomplish a few things. To one, get the process going, to launch the project. David accomplished launching the project. He got things started. Someone had to get the ball rolling, and David was the man for that job. What you're also going to find is that God would use David to prepare the people of God for a commitment to God, not a commitment to a building. David recognized that while the temple was uh, and the building of it was essential, what David is going to communicate and what we've been trying to communicate in this whole process is that the spiritual development and the spiritual growth of the people of God in the process is what matters the most, not the building. God wants to work through that. The key in any building process is for God's people to experience spiritual development further. It's not about buying land. It's not about constructing a building. That's not what matters most and you'll find that's not where David started. He's going he's gonna to start... With this, you'll find, in fact, that that if emphasis becomes about a building, if it becomes about architectural plans, if it becomes about that, then here is the thing, and it's not about deeper relationship with God, then we have failed you. We, as your pastors, have failed you if it becomes about a building. And so God was keeping this in check in my own life. And He's speaking to me to speak to you. David, you're going to find, is going to raise the bar for the people of God spiritually. He's going to speak to the leaders of God. He's going to gather all the leaders first because that's what a leader does is a leader speaks into other leaders' lives. And now here's what he's going to say in 1 Chronicles twenty-eight eight. He's going to say this. So now, with God as our witness as He's speaking to all the leaders... And in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, David is going to say this, and this is something that you need to hear too. David's going to say, I give you this charge. And that's a leader right there. A leader is not afraid to lead. A leader is not afraid to speak truth. If you're looking for a church, you should look for a church where a leader will speak not just what people want to hear, he will speak what they need to hear. Amen? You need to, you need to see that there's boldness in this. Not, not um, obnoxiousness, but boldness here. He says, I'm going to give you this charge. And here's the charge. Notice he doesn't start with a building. He says, here's the charge. Be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God. So that you may continue to possess the good land. And now, look how he's going to talk about a legacy here. And leave it to your children as they say it with me, church, as a what? As a permanent inheritance. He's thinking of of something that goes beyond himself here. Whenever he dies and he's gone, Randy and I have talked greatly about this, that we want what happens here at ABC to go far beyond our leadership here, to transcend us. One day, we're going to be gone. One day, we're going to die. We want to see that the work of God at Eagles View is perpetual. It continues on, impacting lives for generations. And so you see that David says... Begin to see this as a permanent inheritance. Begin to see it as going the distance with your faith, going the distance in your family. And so he's going to talk about that. Now in verse 9, he's going to pull his son aside because David realizes, I'm not the one to do this. He says, your son, God says, your son Solomon is going to do this. And so David is going to say, I'm going to speak into my son's life. I'm going to speak deeply into his life. And it says in verse 9, and he says, and Solomon, my son... Now, look at what he says. He doesn't say learn how to build a building properly. (laughs) Do you notice that? He doesn't say, Solomon, I want you before you do anything else to look at the architectural plans and to figure that out first. Look at what he's going to tell Solomon. Solomon, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Students, listen to me. Learn to know the God of your parents intimately intimately. Amen? That's what we want. We want it to be not about religion in your life. We want you to know the God that we know. We want you to experience God in that same kind of way. We don't want to drive you to God. What did we say? Go in the distance with your families. We want to lead you in the way of the master as you see that he's real in our lives. He says, Solomon, he didn't drive him. He says, I, I'm, I'm urging you, son, before you ever do anything else, you need to know God. you got to know God deeply, intimately. Look at what he's going to commission his son Solomon to do. Solomon, you worship and you serve him with your, what does he say, church? With your whole heart. That's what we said when we were saying going the distance with our families. We lead them in the way of the master. He says, You serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. That's not driving him, that's leading him. If you were to read in verse 20, you'd find that David's going to tell his son a couple of things, as his son is going to embark on this incredible task. He's going to tell him in verse 20, Solomon, you're going to have to be strong. This is going to take strong leadership. You're going to have to be courageous because you're going to be fearful. And then he's going to say, Solomon, you're going to have to do the work. That word work, it literally means to bring forth. Here's what it also literally means. I found this to be interesting. This word work means to be bruised. Right You know what that 's like if you work for a living, you bear the the marks of work, right in other words he 's saying solomon you 're going to have to finish what you start you 're going to have to go the distance. the work 's not going to be easy in fact you 'd find in First Kings that it took him seven years to complete that task seven years that 's a marathon right there, folks he 's saying, go the distance don 't just start it." get it finished. You're going to have to work. And now he's going to say in verse 20, he's going to say, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, this is what we need to hear as a church. And this is what God was speaking into my life that morning. I was panicked. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged for the Lord God, my God, say it with me, what is he? He is with you. He's with you. And I don't know how that may speak to some of you in whatever's happening in your life today, but I trust that God will speak into your life if you're feeling panicked about something. The Lord my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service for the temple of the Lord is finished. God is going to lead you to it, to start it, and God is going to finish and complete that work within you. Amen? Paul even talks about that in Philippians. Now look at their purpose in the project and why why are we doing this? What's the purpose in this? And you're going to find this, that all of God's Word is inspired, not just only the New Testament, but even books like 1 Chronicles is the inspired Word of God that God will speak into our life. And here's what we're going to see. The purpose in their project and the purpose in ours. Then King David turned to the entire assembly and he said this. He's going to speak on behalf of his son. My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel... He is still young, and he is inexperienced. He's talking to all of Israel. In other words, he's a newbie, all right? He doesn't really know what he's doing here, guys. That's what he's saying. I bet Solomon was going, thanks, Dad. Appreciate that, all right? Appreciate you building building me up in front of the people. But look at what he's going to say. He's new at this. The work ahead of him is enormous. Now, I was reading that morning going... God, that's not encouraging me right now. It is enormous. It is going to be difficult. I'm I'm newer at doing this. I don't know all the ins and outs of this. But look at what he's going to say. For the temple. Look at the purpose. For the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. Say it with me. What does it say that the purpose is? It is for God himself. It's for God. It's not a man-centered project. That's what God was sharing with me. It's a God-centered project. We don't do this for, for uh, to bring glory to ourselves or for our own ego. It's to be a place where people can come and be reminded of God's splendor and His majesty. It's not just to be for selfish purposes, although we're, we have some things that we'd like to see happen in it, but it's a place where they could worship the living God in the splendor of His holiness, where lives would be changed, where people would meet with God and be impacted for eternity. And here's what our church should learn from this. Our facilities, no matter where we're at, where we're meeting, whether it was in homes, schools, here, what what it will be next, our facilities should all have the same purpose. And what we are seeking to do is not for us, but it is for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's not for the ego of pastors or the ego of, of people doing. It's for God's glory. And 12 acres of land that God has blessed us with and what we'll eventually build upon within this next year is not a monument to ourselves. It is to be a monument to God's faithfulness in our own lives, to be dedicated to the purposes of God. And God's purpose, what is it? It's to change people's lives. That's what God's in the business of doing. It's to see people who are addicted set free. It's to see people who are broken be restored by His power. It's to see families restored. It's to see great things happen. And we know this around here. Buildings don't change lives. But God showed me something in the midst of this. But oftentimes what happens in them is where lives are changed. And so there's nothing wrong with buildings. There's nothing wrong with them. We use them in all kinds of different manners, but when they become our focus, and maybe that's what we think is doing the life change, that's when we become unhealthy. But God still uses tools, He still can use these kinds of things. So how did the payment for the project look like that they entered into? It's really pretty amazing. How did they pay for this? The building project had a hefty price tag for the nation of Israel. Are you ready for this? Scholars figure that the cost of the temple in today's economy was somewhere in the neighborhood of $16 billion. That is a lot of shekels, I'm just telling you right now, okay? I mean, that is a hefty price tag. $16 billion. $16 billion. Whenever Cowboy Stadium was built a few years back, it was uh, the largest building project of its kind, and it was over a billion dollars. And what we're talking about is like 16 new Cowboy Stadiums being built, all right? Not for the glory of Jerry, but for the glory of God. Amen, okay? And so uh, what's it costing us? And we've shared this in, in our dessert fellowships. Our project is going to be, for starters, in in relocating, it's going to be the most expensive step. It's going to be around $3 million. That's what it's going to cost our church family above and beyond what we typically normally pay out. And it's going to be around $3 million. That's the dirt work. That's the the structure that you saw the flyover. That's the soft cost and the things that go inside of it. And uh, that's for paying for architects and fees and all kinds of things. There's a number of things that, that bring us to that $3 million threshold. Now what I want you to see is how where David was told that he was not going to build the temple, he could have checked out, but what you're going to find is that this wasn't about David's glory, and and, and this is a great model for us in what it means to be generous. So I want you to see how David led the people to, to be joyful in their giving, because David set the example himself. I want you to see David's personal commitment you're going to see this in 1 Chronicles chapter, uh, 29, verse 2. Actually, let's go to verse 3. And now David is going to say this. And now, because of my devotion, a way that also translates is because of my delight in this. A way that Eugene Peterson translates it in the is now because my heart is in this. We looked at it last week. Because my heart is in this. And isn't it interesting because his heart didn't have to be in it. After God said, you're not building this. David could have said, well, okay, I'm out there. But that didn't stop him. He said, you know, my heart is in this. What do we learn? Jesus has told us where your heart is, there your what? Your treasure will be also. For where your heart is, your treasure will be also. So look at David's f- f- commitment to this. This is an obligation. It's because he wants to. Because my heart, uh, my devotion and my heart is in this building of the temple of my God. Look at what David says. I am giving all of my own. Now look at this. Private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for His holy temple. So this is above and beyond His normal gifts. Now look at verse 4. I am donating more than 112 tons of gold. David had a little cash reserve going on, didn't he, here, okay? 112 tons of gold from Ophir, 262 tons of refined silver. James Avery would be all over that right there, okay, right? And, and to be used for the overlaying the walls of the buildings. And for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now I want you to notice that he says something very particular here. He's saying, I'm giving all of my own private treasures. Now we're no way asking anybody to do that, right? Okay? But I just think it's interesting that David would lead out in that way. That is a sacrificial gift. Um, scholars estimate that that amount that was given, that David gave on that particular day, check this out, was somewhere around $2 billion in today's economy. Around $2 billion, David said, I'm led to give that amount. And, and notice his giving came out of his devotion to God. That's where he started. He was giving above and beyond what was expected. He certainly didn't have to give in that kind of manner. It became a pleasure for him to give. He realized that he, his time on this earth was not much longer. David recognized that. And he realized this, which is something we all have to realize. We're not taking it with us. But you can send it on ahead of you, right? By investing in the kingdom of God. Store up for yourselves treasures in where? In heaven. And that's what that's what David's doing here. Now look at what he's going to say. And this is a great leader here. He's not pressuring people here. He's leading. And this is what he says. Now then, he, he's going to lead by example. Now then, who will follow my, what does he say? My example. Who will follow my example? And who will give offerings to? To the Lord today. I love that David's not doing anything that he's not willing to do himself. If you're a leader of anything, we can learn from this example from David. We lead by example. Listen, your staff and your pastors, we are not invested in this only professionally. We want you to know this we're not asking you to do anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. We should never be that way. There is no integrity in that. We want to lead out by example and and lead you in that same kind of manner. And David is leading in this. Just as, as David said, our hearts are in this. I assure you that your pastors can say and stand before you, our hearts are in this. We're not only committed professionally to this, we are committed personally to this. We believe in it. We believe that God is going to use it. Now look at the progression of what happens, okay, as we break this scripture down. The leadership now, the leadership greatly commits to the vision because the leader was greatly committed to the vision. Now the leaders are going to follow David. Verse 6, then family leaders, the leaders of tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army and the king's administrative officers What does it say that they did? They all did what? Say it with me, church. They all gave how? Willingly. That is a key phrase right there, isn't it? Not because of pressure. They gave because they wanted to. They gave generously. The word willingly is used over and over in this passage of Scripture. It's the same word. It literally means to volunteer as a soldier, they were doing, you know, they were stepping in. If, if they were to ask, who will go and, and defend in this? And someone would step up and say, I'll do it. I will lead in that manner or I will serve in that manner. The Scripture tells us that they brought 375 tons of silver, 190 tons of gold. I mean, and I won't bore you with all the details of everything. Let's just say it was a lot of stuff. They came with very generous hearts and and full hands and open hands and they said god here we are use it now it's it's a uh, thought that that amount was around 4 billion dollars that amount was at around 4 billion in today's currency now i'm just going to let you know that's not a ratio that you can expect from your pastors okay um, to see around 2 billion that's going to be given you can just you can just you know know up front that uh, if you don't have it like that to give you can't give it right However, I will say that we're committed in the same kind of manner that David was. And we want to lead in that same kind of sacrificial kind of way. I love the pattern that God's Word lays out for us. And, and, and we're, we're going to lead in that kind of way. Now watch what happens, okay? We've challenged our staff and our leaders. We did this earlier in the whole process. We spoke to our leaders and said, listen, we're leaders for a reason. God's calling us to lead. We don't want to ask people to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. Now watch what happens when leaders lead. The people follow joyfully. You're going to see that next in verse 9. The people followed joyfully. This word joyful is used over and over. It says after this process. Now look at verse 9. I want, you to, I want you to see a key word. Whenever they did this, what happened? The people did what? The people, what does it say, church? Rejoiced. They rejoiced over the offerings. Now look at how they gave. For they had given freely. And how? Wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David himself was also filled with, what does it say? He was filled with joy. That word joy is used in this generous portion over and over again. All right? Verse 17 says this. This word rejoice, it literally means to brighten up. Their countenance was brightened because of their generosity. They felt good about the process. They didn't resent the process. They were joyful in the midst of being generous. And you know what I've discovered? People don't give because they have more money. People give because they have more joy. (laughs) And I've, I've discovered that in my own life. Um, people give because they're more joyful in it, not because they have more. In some cases, when we have more, sometimes we have a tendency maybe to want to hold on to it more. But we give because we have more joy in our hearts. God blesses and loves a cheerful giver. Hilarious giving. 2 Corinthians speaks about that. We looked at it last week. And I just want you to hear this passage today as we go into this week and reflect upon what Commitment Sunday will look like next week. And here's what I want you to consider. Look at what Paul says. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And what that may mean is whether you even give at all. Whether you're going to be a part of the process or not. But look at what he says and how to do this. And don't give, what does he say? Reluctantly. Don't do it. If you feel, you know, that you're resenting this and, you don't, and you're don't, you upset about it or you don't like it or whatever, you need to understand something. God doesn't need your money. What God wants more than anything is God wants to do a work in your heart, okay? And I'm not saying that that means you've got to give to this. I'm saying God wants you to live as a generous person, not just to this, but just in generous in general, okay? He says, and we said last week, if you ever feel pressured into giving or if you feel like like I'm pressuring you, which I won't, okay? But if you feel like you're being pressured into something, do you know what you need to do at that point? You need to say, I'm out. If I start feeling pressured, then that means I'm going to be resentful later. I don't want that kind of... But if I start feeling like God's leading me in the process, that's when I know I'm to be involved in it. Okay, this isn't just for what we're doing, but it's in other situations too. Don't give reluctantly, and look what it says, or in response to, say it with me, church, or in response to, what does it say? Pressure. That's what Paul said. No, because there's no blessing attached to that. Look at what God loves. For God loves a person who gives, say the word with me, who gives cheerfully. And now look at how God responds to that cheerful, generous kind of gift. And God will generously provide all that you need and then you will have everything you need. And look at what this says. And plenty left over to share with others. You are to be a conduit of generosity. You're to be used by God to continue to pass that gift along. And, and that's what our prayer has been for what next Sunday and Commitment Sunday will look like, is that it's going to be a day that we don't go, ah, oh, that's the giving day. Oh, man, I'm out, you know. I'm not looking forward to that, and you resent it, you know. We're not wanting it to be anything like that. And, and I again, I would hope that that wouldn't be the mentality, but if it is, I would just say, I, I I would just say, just begin to deal with God there. And if God doesn't lead you to give, He doesn't lead you to give. Wonderful. But if God does, what we're praying is that it will be a day of spontaneous joy, exhilarating joy and and cheerful giving and a day of great rejoicing and, and, you know, where it's God-honoring, non-pressured, sacrificial, worshipful kind of giving. That's what God wants. That's what God is honored with. And so as we take up a cash offering next week, we don't do that very often around here, special offerings. We don't do that very often. Usually if we do, it's for someone who has a great need. And on this day, it's going to go towards towards paying this down as much as we can because we want to be financially responsible as a church, just like we did in paying off the property. Amen? And that's how we're entering. And so I'm praying it's going to be A great process. You know what we learn from this passage? Here's what we learn. One of the things. It's actually possible for people to be joyful in giving. Because this is what you see. It's possible for the process that we're going into of giving to something like this for it not to have to be a beat down for the guy who's trying to tell people about it. That's what I learned. It's, not, it's possible for it also not to be a beat down for the people who are involved in it, but it's actually possible for it to be God honoring the whole thing, lifting God's name up and that people actually enjoy the process. And that's why I'm relaxed in this. Because I see that that's what God desires. That's what I know He wanted me to communicate to you. And look at what happens after they give all of this and they're excited about it. You're going to see that God is praised in the project. That's what we're praying for EBC, is that God's praised. That God is glorified in this. That this isn't about us. It's not about a building, but it's about our obedience and our following God as He leads us. Look at what it says in verse 9. It says, And King David was King David was, say it with me, was filled with what? With joy. There's that word again. It's joyful generosity, not resentment. Joyful generosity. He was filled with joy. The leaders were filled with joy. All of the people were filled with joy. And he praised God in a prayer before the whole assembly that brings honor and glory to God. It was about God's majesty, not our money. It was about God's glory, not our gifts. It was all about God. That's what we want this whole thing to be about. It's about Him. So look at how David, and we'll wrap it up with this part right here. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. This is what he's going to say. It became a great opportunity for worship. They worshiped. They praised. They celebrated. And this was David's prayer. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Do you see how much worship came through generosity? It comes through generosity. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. O Lord, and this is your kingdom. Isn't that interesting that David, who was the king, would acknowledge this isn't even my kingdom? You know, there have been times as a church planner, as I, as God used me to plant the church and found the church, where maybe a little bit of my control freak would kick in, and I would start feeling like I've got to make things happen, and that's usually when I start getting stressed out and all that. Well, here's what God will do with that. He will rebuke me in that time, and then He will remind me, this isn't even your church. I just used you to get it started. This is, this is God's. This is what God's doing, and David recognized that. What a great example for all leaders He says, this isn't even my kingdom. This is your kingdom, Lord. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made. He says, people are made great and given strength, so God is sovereign. Now look at this. Oh, our God, this is in the process of all the giving. We thank You and praise Your glorious name. Now, this next verse is perhaps one of the greatest verses and personal stewardship that's in the entire Scriptures. David says, but who am I? And who are my people that we could even give anything to You? That is humility right there. Who are we that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. And all God's people said, what? Amen. Right? That's an acknowledgement that everything that we have is His. Everything. It comes from God. What a clear theological statement of what generosity where it starts. It starts with God being generous with us. Now, look, he's going to mention his legacy. He, and and we should listen to this. Okay. Because we recognize this isn't just only about our generation. This is about generation, the generations to come. My favorite part in this whole process so far has been speaking to our students on Wednesday night and saying, this isn't just about us. You're part of the church. This isn't this, listen, this is about you and those who will come behind you. Look at what David says. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. They ran their race, we're running ours. We want to pass the baton of faith faithfully. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow gone so soon without a trace. That is humility in David's part. Verse 16, O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered. And don't you know, as it was there in front of all of them, how enormous and majestic all of the material was with all the tons of gold and silver, precious jewels, everything that was bought, brought before the Lord. And he says, even all this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name Even all of it comes from you. Remember what they had just done? They had just given it all. It all belongs to you. He drives the point home and in saying this, it's all yours, God. And now look at what he's going to say in verse 17. I know my God, and this is what God does as we go through the process. You examine our hearts. You examine our hearts and rejoice when you find integrity there. You know what that is? That's integrity in your generosity. That's because that's the context. Your motives are pure. You're doing it because you want to. You know I have done all of this. He says, Lord, you know my motive is not about my own glory. It's about your glory. I stayed in this even when I couldn't build the temple myself. And I have watched your people offer their gifts. Now say it with me, church. How do they do it? Willfully and joyously. Willingly and joyously. So there are some ways that that people give to things like this. Let me tell you what those are, okay? And then we'll pray. Some people give what is called grudge giving. Grudge giving is I do it, but I sure hate it. And I do it, and I've got a scowl, and I'm doing this, and I'm I'm not happy about it, and I'm, you know, I can't even believe we're having a day like this. I'll do it, you know, and I hope that blesses you, Lord, you know, or whatever. And, and, you know, I'll participate, and, and that's called grudge giving. There's another kind of giving where maybe some of who are a little more people-pleasers, they do what's called obligation giving or obligatory giving. That's when I feel like I have to or I've been pressured into it or maybe manipulated into it or whatever, which, by the way, leads to grudge giving, which leads to resentment. And then there's another way that we see that David and all of his people did because he was thanking God after giving. And do you know what that's called? We're going to celebrate it. It's called thanksgiving. <laughs> It's where I give thanks to God. Thanks and giving go hand in hand. Thanksgiving. And this is what he says. Grace giving. It's grace. It's not because I have to. It's because I I want to. And after they did all this, it says in verse 22, if we'll look at that one there, go to verse 22. They ate and drank With great, what does it say? Joy in the presence of the Lord that day. They ate and drank with great joy. They must have been Baptist is what I can figure, okay? Because they knew how to eat. But they celebrated. You know what's interesting to me? They celebrated not at the finish of all of this. They celebrated and threw a party as it all started. Guys, what God was saying to me that morning on my back porch and that he wanted me to say to you is this process should be and is supposed to be a great opportunity for joy for our entire church family. And that's what I pray for all of us. I pray that for our staff, for our pastors. I pray it for you. I pray that you feel good about this going forward And that as God leads you, you get involved. Not because I've asked you to or anybody else, but because you say, I believe in this. God, you're leading me to this. I believe God's going to honor that. And you know what we're going to do on October 26th? We're going to celebrate. We're going to reveal to you what's been committed. We're going to talk about our next steps. We're going to celebrate on that day, on Celebration Sunday. And and however much comes in, let me just tell you, we're going to celebrate it whatever it is we will celebrate it because god is sovereign amen let's pray together god i thank you for the power of your word how every single word in the bible is inspired by you even what we find in first chronicles lord i thank you that you give so generously to us lord And and just a great example in my own life is how you gave generously to me on that morning where I was stressed and feeling anxious about the process. And Lord, you gave generously to me on that day just the gift of your peace. And I thank you for that, Lord. I want to peacefully lead our church through this process. I want our church to feel peaceful in the process. We want people to feel excited about it. We want people to be, Lord, involved because they want to be, not because they feel like they have to be. So, Lord, we're going to give you glory no matter what happens in the midst of this. We ask you to continue to prepare our hearts. Make us, Lord, into the men and women that you've called us to be. Lord, teach us more from your word about what it means to live open-handed. Lord, to put our faith in you, Put our trust in you. Thank you for this great model of leadership that you've given us through David. Thank you that you promised that you would be with us in the midst of this. Thank you that you showed us that it's actually possible for people to be joyful in giving to something. And that it doesn't have to be a resentment. But Lord, it can bring glory to your name. It can bring worship to you, Lord. That brings honor to you, Lord Jesus. And that's what we're praying would happen in the midst of this thank you for your work. Lord, may we walk out of here and just feel